Welcome to Coach Chefs, the podcast for hungry web developers. I'm your host, Vincent, and with me is... Herman Gamboa. Hi, guys. For today's episode, we're going to be doing a talk on career progression in software engineering. We have a guest today. His name is Caleb Mellis. And Caleb Mellis is a senior software engineer and tech lead at Olo Incorporated, which is a billion-dollar restaurant company. He's ran a freelancing business for three years, and he went from graphic designer to front-end engineer to full-stack engineer, and now he's headed toward engineering manager. One of his favorite opportunities was being one of eight engineers at a hyper-growth startup called Wisely that four times their revenue and had a nine-figure acquisition. He likes playing for, for, for his hobbies. He likes playing piano and drums, loves kayaking, weightlifting, and spending time with his six-year-old kid. He currently lives in Orlando, Florida, and grew up in Chicago. Awesome. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. It's great to be here. Thank you for joining us, Caleb. We're excited to go ahead and talk to you about basically your career progression and learn from basically your life. So I guess if we were to ask a first question is, what brought you into software, in the, what brought you into the software field? Yeah. So if I go back, I was probably around age 17 and... I had just finished high school. I finished like a year early and I was trying to think like, how the hell do people figure out like what they want to do for their career? Like I just saw all these 30, 40 somethings that were just like so established and I couldn't figure out like, how do I get from where I am today to there? Because it just seemed like this invisible path. Like sure, I could do college, but then like, I don't even know what I want to do for college. So I ended up taking a gap year and try to figure out like, what do I want to do? I'm also a super active person. So I was like, man, I don't know if I can sit behind a desk for my whole life. Like I used to run 35 plus miles a week. Like, I don't know. I was just crazy. Like I would run, I would weight lift for two hours a day. Like I did all this stuff and I was just like, I don't see myself sitting behind a desk. So I actually, at that time, I had a landscaping business that I just did on the side for the heck of it. But I started thinking, okay, I need to do a career. I need to make money. What am I going to do? And so I ended up just checking out a book at the library on HTML and CSS. I don't know. I was always interested in computers. So I thought, let me just try this. This looks interesting. Like I could slap stuff up on the internet. That sounds fun. (laughs) So yeah, I had been messing around with graphic design before and I thought, hey, I could put my designs on the web. So I just kind of started learning HTML, CSS. And it just kind of felt like magic, like the internet was this thing that I could just put stuff on it and like people could find it. So I don't know, that was kind of a magical moment for me. And I really enjoyed it. I think that was like my first introduction. And then what kind of got me hooked on it was a friend reached out from a remodeling company and we're like, hey, we have this person that wants to build a website. We heard that you like are playing around with it. Like, could you build us a website? And I said, sure. I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but like, I can probably do it. (laughs) So I took like six weeks and built them like a super basic website, just like images, all their services listed, just pure HTML and CSS. And I put it up, launched it, figured out how to do hosting, all that stuff, and then shipped it and didn't think anything of it. Four weeks later, they sent me a check for like 500 bucks. and that was kind of like, holy crap, like you can make money doing this. So I kind of got hooked on it. Nice. Do you, by any chance, do you remember the name of the book that you actually checked out? Oh, gosh, I don't. <laughs> I would, I wish that I did. 
But now I have a book for my son that's called HTML and CSS for babies. And I read it to him. Oh, dude, I got to get that one for my son. No, I, yes. I really ask because I'm curious. I was, I was curious to see, especially like the older books, like how much things have changed from the time like you started to now. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's like, oh my gosh, before, like, like HTML5 or something like that. It was like, yeah, you... no, it was before. Wait, yeah. was it like, um, it was like Internet Explorer 5. Oh, yeah. So they were like, I don't know, they were like, oh, we probably shouldn't use tables for everything, like, probably not a table self or like a link anymore. So yeah, I was like just at the end of that period. Yeah, no, for me, it, like I remember when I first started, it took me for like I hated front end for that reason because I couldn't figure out like the whole float how how to position things by using floats. I could never yes. figure it out, and I still can't. Like the only way, I, the only reason I've I've ever been able to do front end work now is just because of of uh, CSS Grid and um, Flexbox, which makes things Flexbox, a lot nicer. Yeah, okay, yes, cool. totally. So, yeah, so you. You went ahead and did that, and how long from that from that time on when you first started from when you first got your first freelance engine check? What was that? What was the path that you followed there to like maybe like your first job, or did you just like stay in the freelancing world for a while? Yeah, so as that kind of got me into freelancing, I I did it on the side, maybe like one or two projects when I was in college, a volunteer one, another one I did paid for like fifteen hundred bucks for another small business, and. I was pursuing a degree. I was terrified of advanced math. So I ended up just doing an IT degree instead because I could do statistics instead of all the Calc 4 and all that. So I was, I don't know. I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll do IT. Maybe I'll do programming. We'll see. So I ended up doing IT. And then right out of there, I just had some clients lined up. So I just started freelancing. And I kind of thought I was good at freelancing. But what I didn't realize is like, I was living at my parents' home. I had like no expenses. And so I was like, hey, I just made eight grand. But like, it was five months to make eight grand. So like, that's not going to get you anywhere in the real world. And so I actually realized like, you have to know how to run a business to freelance, which was interesting. I just thought you have to be the best coder ever. And then like, things just show up at your door. But it's the opposite. It's like, you have to be a good business person to actually be a good freelancer. So I had some business mentors that helped me like figure out how to stabilize my revenue because I kept having like, oh, I made $5,000. Then I didn't have another client for like six weeks. And then I made 2000 and then another eight weeks. So they helped me like figure out how to get retainer clients so that I was bringing in a couple thousand every month. And then I had these big spikes that were just kind of like bonuses on top of that. So I did that for around, yeah, I did that for around three years. And then essentially, I was tired of doing it. And one of my clients offered me a full time position. And I told my other clients that my other two big retainer clients, and they were like, wait, we want you. So then three of them offered me positions at once. And I just ended up picking one, which was an event management company. Sweet. So just talk about like freelancing for for a quick second. Like what technologies were you using when you were freelancing? I'm guessing WordPress, or were you still just doing everything raw? Yes. No, I was using WordPress, which, yeah, I think WordPress is interesting because like, I'm assuming like some people listening to this podcast, like they're doing free, they're doing WordPress work. And it's interesting because like, I feel like it's kind of a cool ecosystem. There's a ton of plugins. You can do custom coding pretty easily. Mm -hmm. But at least back then, maybe things have gotten better, but it just felt really messy. Like I'm trying to create websites or like, 
half apps with like this blog tool. And I know that it's gotten better, but I kept feeling like I was hacking around it and I didn't like that. Yeah, that's the thing with WordPress. Sometimes people use it for more than it, it's, for more than it's actually meant to be. And I've seen some interesting yeah. solutions built on top of WordPress. I don't know if you ever get a chance to build like a custom app just for WordPress. But I, I, I yeah. seen some. I didn't quite go that far, but I did build plugins. There was this one church that asked me to build them a website, and they had like this passage that they like a scripture passage that they wanted people to learn and i was like i don't want them to have to update that so i literally just built a web scraper that went out and just like grabbed it and like Mm -hmm. stuck it in their website and i did that in wordpress so Uh, i don't know it's kind of fun what you can do but it just feels like you're hacking it all oh yeah i see i remember like there was one time when my one of my earlier roles i worked at an agency at a contractor it's called 321 mm. agency, literally that. And a bunch of their stuff, instead of using like, hey, let's just use Laravel for a custom app, they would just build it on top of, of WordPress. Like no matter what it was, it would just get bolted on top of WordPress. Like the wow. worst abominations, like a full yeah. CRM on top of WordPress. So, wow. Yeah. Crazy. So you said like you moved into this company that was doing like event management, right? Yes. Yep. So I was there for a while, actually. And I started, they basically like, I was really good at responsive design. So actually CSS was like my best skill, which is weird. (laughs) But I guess that shows I started as a true front end engineer. And so they were like, hey, we have this web app that is literally 1500 pixels wide and it can't shrink, but we want people on tablets to use it. You do responsive design. Can you build it for us? So I basically made their app responsive essentially for like a year and a half. And then, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, what was like the biggest thing that you learned well, during that year? If, if I was only, were you only there for a year or were you there for more time? No, I was there for more time. I was actually there for like five and a half years. So that's where a year in, they were like, we have so much work to do. Can you start building the front end? Like we use AngularJS. Can you learn that? So I was like, sure. I don't know what that is, but I can learn it. So... I went down the rabbit hole of Angular 1.5 and learned all that. That's where I really started learning MVC and trying to figure out the front end. And I was there, I would say, three years. And then my growth just kind of stalled. Like, I was sort of doing okay at Angular and I was still good at CSS, but like I couldn't break through to full stack. I don't know. I just kind of hit a plateau of growth. And... I kept trying to take these courses. I never completed them. And I kind of just realized like, okay, I need a system for learning because what I'm doing is not working. And Mm -hmm. so that's where I just thought, what the heck? What if I just tried something new where every single day I'm going to learn for 30 minutes instead of like spending three hours every other weekend trying to learn something? Because I feel like I keep forgetting it. So I did that like every day before or after work. I would just spend 30 minutes going through a book or a course and I would force myself to complete it to the end unless it just sucked and it didn't work at all for me. But like, yeah. And that was kind of like, I did that for seven months and it was super painful. I hated it. But then after seven months, like my boss called me up one day and was like, this is insane. Like your skills are growing so fast. Like maybe you should slow down your growth. I don't know if we can afford you. Yeah, I don't know. It that yeah, (laughs) yes. It was kind of yeah. 
that was not the healthiest company ever. I think that they were kind of cash strapped and they were worried about losing talent. So, I mean, it sort of makes sense, but it wasn't very healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And you also moved up all the way to tech leading that company, didn't you? Essentially, I did. I didn't have the title, but because it was a very flat company, mm-hmm. the founder was kind of running it, but then they were so busy that pretty much the team would just be sort of running itself for like four weeks at a time. We did like four week sprints. So I just started like doing sprint planning and running daily standups and like, oh, we haven't done a retro in six weeks. We should probably do one of those. So I just kind of started like stepping in to lead little things. And that kind of got my feet wet for becoming a tech lead at Wisely, which was my next company that I was yeah, at. So out of sheer curiosity, because I'm just curious, like what drove you to like actually want to start implementing those structures versus just being like, all right, this is fun. There's no structure. Let me just keep going. Let me just, let's just keep things going the way they are. Yeah, I think because it was a small, flat startup and the leadership was very vision oriented, but they were not great at like the day to day organization of how to get to that vision. And so there would be these meetings where like, why didn't we hit our goal? And I had no way of telling them like where we were, how we were going to get there. Like it was just like, we're cranking as fast as we can. We'll get there. Like. I'll work extra tonight. We'll catch up. But there was no like, oh, the project is like 75% complete. And there's these 10 blockers. We could cut scope here. There was none of that. So like, I didn't have any good answers for them. So I think that's kind of what led me to do that. I've always been curious because I one thing, one random observation from my point, from my end is like, I've noticed people that tend to have like some sort of business background, whether it is your landscaping business or freelancing, hmm. tend to be the people to push more towards that. Versus like yeah. people that have always always worked like some sort of like individual contributor role, whether in tech or in just some other place, they always tend to kind of like just how, how to, what would be the best way to like just accept the status quo in in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's just a curious observation I've noticed. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think probably from my freelancing days too, because I did have to provide like project updates. Like people would ask me like where is the project? When will it be done? Are you on budget? All this kind of stuff. So I just kind of started having to do my own systems in place. Yeah. So I know that you were at the company for like, you said five years. I know you have a story that it comes of basically what happened of a conversation, I think a conversation you had that kind of like forced you to be like, Hey, I'm out of here. I'm going somewhere else. Then you transition into wisely. I mean, if you want to tell that story, if you're more than free, because I think that's, I, I know you've told the public and I you told it a couple of times too, like when, I, when, yes. when we've been working together. Oh, yeah, by the way, for everyone listening, me and Caleb do work together at the moment. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, and then you transition to Wise. But yeah, just tell us about that story because I think it's a pretty cool story. Yeah. Yeah. I So I had been growing a lot and I was kind of hitting a roadblock in two ways. One is like there wasn't a super good career ladder there. It was just kind of like the mindset of like become a better developer and we'll pay you more. But there was no like good career ladder. And so I'm just someone that likes to progress and grow. And if like you tell me what I need to do, like I'm going to do it. So I needed a little more structure and guidance, even though I am like self-directed, I just needed some vision around that. One of my mentors ended up leaving the company. So I didn't feel like I had good mentorship anymore. And so I always say like either earn or learn or like get something crazy on your resume or leave. (laughs) So I was learning a ton for a long time that my mentor left. Then I realized I was underpaid and then I didn't have anything on my resume. So I was like, oh boy, it's probably time to leave. But 
I did. I loved the team there. Honestly, like all my coworkers were amazing. Like I'm friends with some of them. We still text almost like every day. And so like, it was really hard to leave because I was super comfortable. I had been there for five years and I was also freaked out. Like, honestly, I had never done like an official interview in my whole life. So because I was like freelancing and then my clients essentially hired me on, there was no, I had never interviewed. I was like seven years into my career. And I was like, I don't know, like I hear all this stuff about leak code and like a thousand hours on it. I've never done a line of leak code. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I started looking and I feel like I took a different approach than most people take. And I didn't even realize this at the time, but I just took like my freelancing approach, which is like, how can I go from someone who I don't know to them hiring me? Like I need Mm -hmm. to build a relationship with them. And so I took that into interviewing and I just like researched the heck out of companies. I found like my top 20 companies and I just started like learning everything about them, their products, their team, what I would like about them, their tech. And I just like started messaging people that work there, founders, trying to meet people. And eventually I saw the position on what that Wisely posted. And I started reading about their founders, their products. They looked super interesting. And I was like, wow. So I wrote up this whole cover cover letter with all my research and I sent it off. And like the next day, Tyler, their co-founder, like texted me and was like, hey, we want to interview you. So yeah, I was a little nervous because they were like, we're going to put you in like a coding challenge right away. You know, I was like, okay, I can probably do coding challenge. And then they were like, next one will be like intense whiteboarding. And I was like, I don't know what that is. It sounds rough. Yeah. Do you want me to tell kind of the interviewing story of how I got in or? Yeah, I mean, we can kind of move into that area, but I was just kind of like bring up the fact that I found that funny that you also, also wisely was kind of like your first like official interview in a sense. Yeah, because uh, it was also my first interviewing experience. So for me, in the past, I was I had the same thing where like previous places, company roles I had was usually because I knew someone on the inside that was able to like help you bypass mm. some of like the filters that you have that you have in place. Yes. And I remember when I applied to Wisely, like the first thing I did, I actually applied by accident. You know, it was like not even like on purpose. Mm. It was like I saw like a, for some reason they had a post on Stack Overflow, and I was searching something on yes. Stack Overflow, and then I saw it. I'm like restaurant. Wait a second. I could probably like I've worked in a restaurant before, and that was only oh that was really the yeah. only reason I applied. That's kind of funny. Like why was also my first like official interview, not knowing anyone on the inside yeah. type deal. But yeah, like tell us yeah. about your interview story. Yeah, I'm sure you had a similar one, Herman. But <laughs> like I felt like at least in the early days, they had like so many rounds, like back and forth with co-founder and the founder and like the DevOps team and. I don't know, at least I had like seven or eight back and forth with them. And I was excited, but I was like, man, I'm putting a lot of effort in. But I also figured out, I figured like, I need to stand out. And so like, when they gave me a take home, I was just like, I'm just gonna like blow this out of the water. So I literally spent like 30 hours making a production app. I mean, not really production grade, but I was like, I want it to be like, really good. And they there was like two of them that interviewed me. And at the end, Like they didn't give me any indication of like, did I do good, whatever. And so I just asked Tanae, one of the guys who worked there, like, hey, how was it? And he was just like, your code is the cleanest we've ever seen. So that was good. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, no, also when I interviewed, we had a, we still had a bunch of things. It was like so many calls, you know, was it, 
was it was it, was the was the coding challenge the same the same one which is like the reservation system but with like the front end included? Yes. Yes, that was yeah. yes. It was like one of those surprisingly tough ones to do, especially for the front end, because you ended up spending, most of the time was spent on the front end kind of polishing it and be like, I want this thing to look awesome. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. But yeah, that was oh, you were gonna ask me something? No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. I was gonna say, yeah, I joined as a senior engineer and that was amazing. Just like the first year there, I just felt like I was learning so much. I finally had mentors again that I could learn from. And the pace was just super quick. So I felt like mm-hmm. I was learning and growing so much every day. And it was like really interesting problems. It wasn't like at my last company, like, oh, we have like 16,000 line PHP files. We need to like refactor these because we don't even know what's going on. It was like, we just signed this $2 million client and we have to build up this new feature in like six weeks. That happened like multiple times. So I don't know. To me, that was like really fun to be a part of. Yeah, I think you you joined seven months before I did, I want to say. Was it a I year or something? I think so, months? yeah. I joined August 2020. And I was... When did January, you join? January 2021. Yeah. Seven months. Okay, yeah. So I was six months before you. Yeah, something. Yeah, close by. Yep. But yeah, I can definitely collaborate what you, corroborate what you said, where it was like super fast-paced, really interesting problems. It also felt the same thing, which was like insane yeah. growth coming in, especially from like going, I don't know how your previous job before that was, but for mine, it was like Fentex, everything was very structured, like no work would get done mm. unless they had like extensive documentation tickets where mm. the first jumping into like wisely, like was like the first official startup was like kind of crazy. It was like, here's this really defined task and we need to get done this done. So this person, why I sign a contract with us? Can you please do it really fast? <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah yeah it was mm. fun so curious so you joined wisely did you have like the, like what were your intentions like joining wisely were you like at that point were you kind of think, thinking of like hey i want to stay like just as an individual contributor or are you already thinking like oh i would like to i, I want i would like to move into like engineering management at that point yeah i think i started with the goal of like oh maybe i'll want to go into engineering management but i quickly realized like there's all these smarter engineers. Like I actually really need to level up in my engineering skills. Like I was at a certain level, like I would say like early senior, but like the Mm -hmm. types of problems we were working on were like hard for me when I first came in. And so I had to level up a lot. And then I think like, I want to say like eight months in, I became a tech lead, which was really challenging. My manager at the time, Ushashi, she was really great. I'm just like every week we were going through like what I needed to work on to be able to be the tech lead for the team and kind of take over from this other engineer who just like knew everything and had built everything. Now I had to take a piece of that and like help the team. So yeah, I loved like our weekly check-ins. It was just like every week we were working on career goals rather than like, oh, how are these five tickets doing? And I feel like that's how one-on-one should really be is like, and she even worked on things of like, where do you want to be in three years if you leave this company? And I think that's huge. Like having more of like a mentor manager is just so huge. And I feel like I wish that every engineer had that. So yeah, I forgot where I was going with that. But yeah. I mean, she was awesome as an engineering manager. Yes. Oh, yeah. So going to engineering manager. So yeah, she encouraged me. How about you get to senior two in between senior and staff? 
was a level they had. And then maybe you could pursue engineering manager. And I thought, oh, that'll be great. So I worked on that for maybe like, it took me a year and a half to get to senior two from when I joined. And most of that was like systems design, like scaling, learning how to help lead the team technically, leveling up in like my documentation and systems knowledge. Just a lot of that stuff that I actually had practical, I needed to have practical experience in. Like we built, I don't know, one of my favorite stories is like we built this am- email campaigns tool. And I would, I didn't even know like how it would grow. And <laughs> now it's growing even more than then. But it was just like, oh, we're going to build this email campaigns tool. The designer sat down with like a bunch of designs and was like, okay, we want to build like this custom tool because like no one can do what we want to do. And I looked at it and I said, that's going to be literally six months of UI work. Like, is that what you want? And they were like, well, no, like we have all these clients that want to just stay in our app. Cause like restaurants have this problem where they have like 20 different data sources. Like they have guests mm-hmm. in punch, they have guests in like their reward programs and their birthday lists and MailChimp and all this. And so we want them to just be able to, rather than like import CSVs into MailChimp or SendGrid, we want them to just be in our system and just send an email. So that's why we built it. So I took a look at all the requirements and I said, what if I found you an email builder that was already made that we could just like customize the styles to and it met all your product requirements. So I took two weeks, I researched and I found this email plugin that we use now. And I was a little worried because it was like two grand a month or something to, to like license the plugin. And I remember the founders were like, that's so cheap compared to six months of dev work. Let's do it. So we ended up literally saving five months of work and we shipped the first email campaigns tool, I think in six weeks. And it was just a bunch of like the email builder on the front end, a bunch of workers and queues on the back end. And then we sent through an external email provider. And the first three months, we sent like 25 million emails through it, which I was like, wow, that's that seems pretty cool. And then the next three months, we sent another 25 million. And then what was it? No, it was like the first three months was 25 million. And then the next month after that, we must have signed a new client and we sent 25 million in one month. And I was like, holy crap, we just like tripled our growth in one month. And that just kept going until like today, a year and a half later, like we've sent like, I just checked today, it's like 780 million emails through this thing. And we send like seven to 10 million a day now. So now there's a whole scaling team working on this tool. And like, I've gotten to be a part of that a little bit and just working through database problems, queues, analytics, webhooks, just all these different problems that you actually have like a real life thing you can work on in front of you. And it was really, I don't know, it just really challenged me and it was awesome to work on. Yeah, it's impressive how much volume that thing, that thing moves. So, yes. So I don't know when you said this is your scaling team. That's me <laughs> and some other people. <laughs> yes. I passed that uh, off to Herman. You are the next engineer on that. I would say it's actually quite beautifully designed. It actually works really well. We, I think from a technical mm-hmm. perspective, the only things we t- we've tweaked are like database stuff where, yes, databases can sometimes be slow at writing things. But any other major stuff, it hasn't been like yes. changed a lot of major things. 
Cool. Yeah. So throughout this time, I know there's a, there's a thing we kind of glossed over there, which is important, which I, I would like to talk about with you, which is like the whole acquisition process, right? Because we were during this time, we, we kind of, we, you're kind of talking about like being a single job because it has been, but in a sense, it's been two jobs a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you kind of mm. like kind of make the distinction between like the, the time where it was, we were a startup or actually, let me not talk about it that way because it sounds weird. Yes. The time you were working at a startup and the time that you're kind of like working at a larger org after the acquisition. So for you, like draw yes. your journey, like how was that acquisition? Was it like your first time going through an acquisition like that? Yeah. Was it your first time going through an acquisition like that? Yeah. It was my first time. I was a little nervous about it because I had heard a lot of other engineers. They got acquired by some, you know, mm-hmm. they had a startup with 300 employees or 50 employees. They got acquired by a big corporate company with 50,000 employees. And they just either like fired them all or they just sucked them up. And then they worked on random stuff that was not fun anymore or the whole structure of the business changed and they didn't enjoy it. So I was a little worried, but I really liked what Olo, the company that acquired the startup did is they just kept the engineering team intact for the first year. So I still reported to my manager. She reported to like our old CEO and he reported to the new CEO. And so like the engineering org was just kind of kept intact for a year, which I felt like was really cool. I think it kind of delayed the growth pains a little bit and now we have them more. But I really enjoyed how we were able to keep our velocity, all our old tools, our tech stack, everything. There wasn't much change in the first year. And now I'm just trying to embrace the change. Like I remember a founder of Wisely, he always had this thing he would talk about, like growth comes in S-curves. Like you do like a bunch of work and then you like hit this escape velocity. But whatever got you to level one is not going to get you to level two. Like you don't just keep putting in the same effort and you keep going linearly. You have to like change your effort or change your strategy to get to level two. And so I'm just kind of taking that to heart now. Like sometimes there are different processes needed to get to the next level. When your team is 20 engineers instead of five, you might need Mm -hmm. some different processes or your team is 180 engineers (laughs) instead of 20, you know? So that's kind of what I'm leaning into as I'm switching from a tech lead to an engineering manager role at Olo. So yeah, yeah, can answer my next question, which was how how are you embracing the change when it comes to like your like wanting to be in a leadership position? I guess like right now is an awesome time for like for that change, right? Because you you get to kind of like how would I how would I put it? You make the, you get to make the change out of as oh. Now I'm stuck at how I want to put it. It sounded so perfect in my head when I was going to ask you the question, but now that I'm thinking about it, it's kind of like kind of got myself lost. No, it's just like embracing the embracing the change into a large. So, I, just looking at my notes, it's like basically like how would like basically how has like the growth and the team size or like moving in like embedding yourself into a larger org like changed how you're like like approaching your engineering lead into engineering manager transition. Yes. Yeah. I feel like I had a big switch earlier this year, actually. We had two, two, one or two new engineers join, and they had different ideas on things. And we had just switched where a lot of the founding engineers had left. Mm-hmm. I think seven, like my manager left, our CEO, co-founder of the old startup, a couple of the senior and staff and principal engineers all left. And they're all starting startups, <laughs> literally all of them. and. So like 
I've kind of stepped up a little more. I had to learn a lot. Now I'm like the go-to person to answer all these big system questions. But as far as like embracing the change, what I've kind of realized is like, I have all these ways that I like to do things or all these ways that, you know, when I came in, I asked a lot of hard questions like, why are we doing microservices? Why are we doing this? And like, I actually made a few changes because I pushed back on things, but then I kind of got comfortable and I I don't really have anything I want to change or I do and I forgot because I just kind of got used to the daily pain. I feel like that's common. You kind of just get used to it and you're doing random stuff. But new engineers are questioning things. And so the first time we had that, I really butted heads with that person and was like, ah, why are you questioning everything? And they were like, I thought you like, that was literally part of your culture is like ask hard questions. <laughs> and I talk about that on LinkedIn, like ask the hard questions. And so what I'm trying to do now is embrace it because as I'm switching to engineering manager and even like another thing that helped me realize this was all these like several engineers, my manager gave me this feedback is like several engineers felt like I was always telling them what to do. And I was like, that's very strange. Like, I don't feel like I ever tell anyone something to do because I don't have that title or role. But what I realized is like, if I just leave like a comment, like you should do this, or maybe you should do this. To me, it was a suggestion, but they were like, oh, well, Caleb knows everything about the system. So I should probably just do what he says. So now I've worked really, I'm trying to work really hard on like, what are your thoughts? Like, would you do it differently? And why would you do it differently? Just ask way more questions than saying like, we should do this. Because I'm thinking, oh, well, they'll push back. Like I'm used to people pushing back, but people aren't going to push back when it's like, I'm the most tenured engineer at the old startup. And they're like, he knows all this stuff. So I think that's been a shift for me is just like embracing the change and trying to embrace new voices and ideas yeah i've always wondered how that yeah that makes sense to me like i always wonder how th- how that change would be of like you probably there's probably gonna be times or there has been times where you want like something done a certain way but rather than that you just let the other let the engineer you're kind of mentoring just kind of like figure it out their own way whether it's good or bad obviously if it's super bad you're gonna stop them right but like yes. how that how that how that change happens but not so much from like a individual contributor right because i would if someone like if if I saw something, I would just kind of like say it in NMR, but like, I guess as you transition to an engineering manager, it becomes like a little bit more loose of like, I, I had someone comes up to you and say, it's like, Hey, I have this idea. And you, rather than just saying yes or no, you just kind of like facilitate the idea in a sense. I don't yes. know. That, that part to me, it's weird. Yeah. Like in the, in the yeah. sense of like, I know, like, for example, like managers are supposed to like facilitate things, but it's like, mm-hmm. how? <laughs> what, yes. what does that mean? Yeah. I've been learning. Yeah, I am super new to this. So like, what my manager has been encouraging me is like, ask more questions to like, get to the heart of like, what they're trying to do. Rather than like, let's say you come to me and you're like, Oh, we're building the email campaigns tool. We should use cron jobs and just like send it out. And I'm thinking in my head, like, that's a horrible idea. So I just tell you as an IC, like, that's a horrible idea that will Mm -hmm. never work XYZ. And you're like, oh, okay. And we kind of argue and then we go with my way because I had a different, better idea. But if I did that as a manager, I'm not helping anyone level up. There's a power differential now because like I'm kind of over them, even though I don't really like to see managers like that. 
like to see it as more of like a coach or a support, but there's Mm -hmm. definitely a power differential. So like I need to be much more like, Oh, have you talked to the staff engineer on your team? Like, and talk through some ideas or what are you trying to solve here? Why do you think that's a good idea? Can you talk me through it? Just asking way more questions and trying to help them discover if I'm really strong on something, like trying to get them there with questions so that they feel like they discovered it rather than me telling them. I think is kind of empowering. It sounds a little manipulative, but I think it's really empowering to like self-discovery is like if your manager can coach you towards something or have someone else walk alongside you and you can just discover it in the process rather than being told something to do. Yeah, and, so, and just regarding the fact you said it sounds manipulative, I think it's why it's a really difficult skill. It's not like it's yes. not like a like a thing that's intuitively picked up because I, I personally I'm not good at it. I can't really do it. Yeah. Um, yes. What I've noticed when, for example, when managers throughout the, throughout the time I've I've been working there is like they they're able to like guide you like in a way that you don't you you can feel it in a sense that you feel like oh gosh this person's really helping me but in a not a super direct way but you can you as an individual can can feel it and you you do acknowledge it yes at least you should yes. if you're con- being conscious of it but it's not it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like you're being pulled anyways it's weird yes. it's kind of nebulous to even yeah. talk about it to be honest with you at least for me because I, I don't yes. grasp it about yeah i think it's like a happy dance between like yeah how do you lead someone without just like yeah i think it's like where do they want to go and like helping them towards those goals. And then also there's like business goals that we need to get towards. How can we like do a little bit of both of those? I always encourage engineers that too is like own your own growth. Like, yes, maybe the company has a career ladder and maybe your manager says, I think you would be a great senior too, or an engineering manager. Well, like so many engineers go to engineering management to make more and then they hate it. So like, I think you should always own your own growth and be like, well, actually I want to stay. I see. I want to work on scaling projects. Like how can we partner up to match business goals with my goals? Because I want to work on scaling. And one of my engineers recently told me that on her team. And I was like, that's amazing. Next sprint is like half scaling work. I'm just going to assign you to all of that. And like, we'll, we'll level up together as we work on it. So I think that's really cool to be able to partner with your manager and like match your personal goals with like business goals. And then, like, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So going back a second, you said you you talk about things on LinkedIn. You want to tell us about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, LinkedIn's funny. Like, I feel like it's, I don't want to say it's the new Twitter, but I feel like back in the day, let's say, like, 2018, 2017, it was, like, mm-hmm. it was very corporate And it's just, like, everyone's afraid to say anything on there because your boss is going to see it. And like, it's mostly just job postings and like these mega influencers that post something about their family or about their business that they just made a billion dollars on a startup or something. Mm -hmm. But I started realizing like last year, like, Oh, I kind of have this momentum in my career. I've switched to full stack. I've switched to tech lead. I'm working on engineering manager. I was a part of this big acquisition. So I kind of have like these experiences that I want to share. And I feel like because I was at an unhealthy startup for a couple of years, I kind of had this stuff bottled up about like 
I've experienced good culture and bad culture and I want to talk about it. And I like, I feel like other people think this, but nobody's saying anything. So I was just like, I'm not afraid of my job and I feel like I have really supportive managers. So I'm just going to start talking about things and like, it's not going to be anything crazy that my company will be embarrassed about. Like, I think it will actually draw people, the right people in because they'll be attracted Mm -hmm. to good culture. And I've had so many people like weekly that DM me now that are like, are there any open positions at Olo? Like, I want to work on the team that you're on. (laughs) Like, no, there's not. But yes, I'll let you know if there ever are. But yeah, I wanted to, I think my main goal with LinkedIn is two goals. One is I want to look back and see like that previous version of myself when I was stuck and I couldn't like get to the next level, like to senior level. I want to share what I've learned with those people to help them unlock their next growth path. And then two is like, I want to talk about all the non-code skills that I feel like are just kind of nebulous to people. Like, oh, I'm maybe at a staff level in my coding, but I can never get past senior level or mid-level because I don't know about like my writing sucks or like I don't know how to give good stand-up updates that like surface things to stakeholders or like I don't know how to have a really big picture vision of systems or I don't know how to talk in business language. So when I'm in these meetings with CX or the VPs, they're all just like checked out and they don't even know what I'm saying, you know? Like, I feel like those are the hard skills to learn that you have to work on as an engineer is like getting in your user's Mm -hmm. head, your customer support team, your product team. And that can really help you stand out as you get to more senior levels. So those are like my goals of what I share on LinkedIn. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, so you started just sharing stuff on LinkedIn and then people started coming or did you have like a specific strategy to like grow on LinkedIn? <laughs> I was like, I literally saw like some people offering courses, like grow to mm-hmm. 50,000 followers in a year. Like we'll teach you everything. And I'm like, I don't want to be one of those people that just like took a course and they just like wrote all these posts with AI and they just like exploded. And then like you they have a hundred thousand followers and they get like three comments and 20 likes or a thousand mm-hmm. likes, but there's no like conversation. I wanted to actually like meet people and like build community. So I told myself no courses for six months. I'm just going to like post what I care about and like try to encourage people. And so like I started posting December, 2022 and I had around 600 connections then. And I didn't take a course on LinkedIn or anything until the end of August. And I had 10,000 followers. So my basically what I did to grow was I built connections with people like it's networking, but it's like non weird networking. It's like writing what you care about, and then commenting on other posts that you resonate with. And so my main goal was just like, I'm gonna be Usually what I do on social media is like I scroll Twitter and I literally like one post or two posts and I've read like 300. (laughs) And so I was like, I'm going to do the opposite on LinkedIn. It's like, I'm going to comment on 50 posts and like two of them. And so like, just see if I can like build connection with people. And so that's what I've done. Like some days I leave maybe a hundred comments on different people posts and I'll get like 200 followers just from leaving comments. Oh, really? But it is a lot of work. But I feel like I've 
yeah, I don't know. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, and I actually do read your stuff because you're like every time I go on LinkedIn, like your posts are the first ones that pop up for me. And I do actually read them. And it's yeah. like one thing about about LinkedIn and Twitter in general, especially when it comes to like the tech space, is literally most yeah. of the things that people post are completely useless stuff or just fluff fluff pieces. And there's very few people in, that actually post like interesting stuff to read. So like I do read your stuff. Like I, for example, like you have a sub Substack, right? Substack, yeah. Like I do go in there yes. to like read your posts because I do find them like that you're actually sharing like really like interesting stuff or insightful stuff, not just. I like like the whole what, what was the meme of like like the, I met this person like on my way to an interview and then in the elevator it turned out the person was my interviewer type deal. Yes. No, but, yeah. Yeah. My Substack is like I want to go deeper and on LinkedIn you can only share maybe like a thousand characters. And so one of the goals for Substack was I actually think as I write. And so like I'll write a post and it might be like 2000 words. And I'm like, I just like dump everything in my brain out on the page. And then I'm like, this is horrible. Like there's no flow to it, nothing. And then I come back like two days later and I like get it all down to like a thousand words with like a very clear outline and like stories in there and things like that. And again, the main goal is just like helping junior, mid, senior levels just like unlock the next piece of growth for their career. So. I find that it helps me think through how I've grown and like document that and also like mm-hmm. reminds me what I need to be doing as well. Yeah. I do think that whole documenting as you grow is really important because there's oftentimes where you don't look back and see everything. You're like, man, I haven't moved. I feel like I've been stuck like doing the same thing for years. And then you look back yeah. and you're like, holy crap. I've done a lot. And I know that happens yes. to me a lot. There's times where I get like, get like, man, I feel like I haven't done anything this year and all of a sudden i'm like wait a second yes. i've done this 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 i'm like okay cool <laughs> um, yes but- yeah i would encourage like if anyone listening ever gets in that position is like and as i'm moving into engineering manager especially i'm doing this is like you're doing so much at startups there's just like a thousand slack messages a day emails coming in like customer requests jira tickets are flying everywhere and it's like you get to the end of the week and you're like what i don't even know what i did anymore so what i've been doing is like just a little daily bullet point journal of like what i'm working on and then at the end of the week i try to summarize like here's the tldr of my week and like how i made forward progress on projects and then like every quarter i try to quantify those things and i think this is key that people forget like in their brag docs is quantifying your wins because when i was helping out with a lot of interviews earlier this year most people's engine like resumes would be like expert in typescript built new cicd pipeline that you know 500 engineers use and no downtime or something and it's like they're very like engineering abstract and it's like i'm sure that was insane and super cool but like there's not a lot of like quantifying of like what that actually did for the company versus like if you told me herman like oh i built this email campaigns tool like we hit a certain level and then we needed to scale it because we had a five million dollar client that we landed that wanted to 2x actually it's like 10x our sending speed and here's how I did it. And you like listed that out. Like that's super impressive on your resume. A recruiter is instantly going to be like, holy crap, like look at that. 
he's clearly business use case, like all the technical things they did. So that stuff, I feel like you can build up easily if you're keeping like daily or weekly journals and then you summarize it every quarter or so. Huh. And yeah. you actually just pointed something to me that just clicked in my head actually is like when you're listing things out of like in your brag doc or in your resume in general, it's not the important thing is probably not why you did the thing is any engineer could probably build a, can build a CICD pipeline. Any engineer can go ahead and optimize something, but it doesn't yes. tell the story of why you actually did this, right? Because it could be like yes. you, you just decided on your own accord to like, I'm going to make this thing faster. It was nothing to do with what the business needed, but yes. you just did it. And it was probably the wrong thing to do. So I, that's actually, that just gave me that insight. It's like, if you explained, you have to kind of obviously in very short blurbs in the resume, because you maybe have like what, yes. a couple dozen words per line, kind of like give yes. the context of, why you did why you did and why that was important not just i did the thing yes thank you yeah yeah totally and that can be for anything like adding docs it can be like Mm -hmm. reduce onboarding time by 40 percent by revamping our product like our engineering docs you know like it's like quantifying the value of what you did Yeah, yeah that's awesome Random question throughout this whole thing. So throughout your whole journey, do you still keep the 30 minutes elite for learning or is that something you kind of like? Drop Everyone <laughs> asks me that. I am not that consistent. I wish I was. <laughs> I am doing so right now. I'm like, I do at least 30 minutes of LinkedIn every day. So like writing, that's my 30 <laughs> minutes as I do writing for 30 minutes, except for one day, I mostly do editing. But what I usually do is like, anytime I really want to grow, like, I'm switching into engineering manager or I want to become tech lead or I'm going to switch to a new project that I know I really need to grow. That's when I do the 30 minutes and I do it for three weeks, three months, six months. And I just keep coming back to that. Like every three months or every 12 months, I'll just like do another round of that. But it's not something I do every day, but it's like a practice I believe in. Like consistency beats random hustling. I just had this epiphany like two weeks ago. Remember how I was talking about my business, my freelancing, where it's like, oh, I made like eight grand and then for like six weeks and then like it averages out like one time I made like five grand, but I averaged out my hours and I was literally making five dollars and 45 cents an hour. So I felt horrible about that. And I realized it can be the same with learning. Like if I do like random hustling where I spend two hours on a Saturday and then somehow four weeks goes by and I spend another hour. Like if I had just done 30 minutes a day, I would have done like, I would have gotten like five times farther because like every day I'm building up rather than just these little spikes that don't really do that much for me. Yeah. I think what you just mentioned of just doing it probably when there's like a purpose behind it, it's probably a lot more sustainable than just yes. doing it for the sake of doing it every single day. Yes. Because if you just do it for the, doing it for the sake of that, you don't have like a targeted thing you're, you're pointing yourself towards. It's just... I'm going to learn some random crap today that's probably never going to help me. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, totally. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a firm believer too. Like, I love to work hard, but I feel like, honestly, like hustle culture can be a little toxic. It's like, I've almost burned out two or three times in my career. And it's because I was just pushing myself too hard and wasn't acknowledging how I wasn't sleeping enough. I was stressed out about all the tickets I was working on. And so... I think it's just really key to like pace yourself and don't compare yourself to other people. There's these other engineers. They're always going to be better. They're always going to be doing more side projects, always going to be playing around with more things than you are. And it's the same on LinkedIn. Like 
I started and like I was ahead of a few people and now they're like double my followers. And I'm like, how did that happen? I have to catch up. And I'm like, I don't need to catch up to follower count. Like I'm literally just sharing what I am and it's impactful to people and they follow me. Like I don't want to get caught up in games of like, I must be the single best engineer on the planet or the best influencer on the planet. I just want to like have a fulfilling life and like, enjoy it with other engineers and my family and stuff like that so yeah yeah that, that, that's actually, actually easier said than done because when you see things, oh, yes. you see things most on social media you're like i imagine for you it's a little bit more difficult especially because you have like the metrics there to like kind of guide you versus just seeing oh, someone yeah. post something you're like oh man i can see the ins- i can see the impressions that probably drives you yes a little bit harder yes uh, i know some weeks i just have to like completely ignore that stuff yeah, no, I do definitely yeah. agree with the hustle culture thing. I think, I think like the most toxic thing I did regarding that for me is like, so this is funny. You probably didn't know this, but when I when, when I first started Wisely, I actually had three full time jobs. I was working really? three full time engineering jobs. Yeah. So um, wow. So basically, I was doing. The, I don't know if you ever heard about the concept of overemployed. I read about people doing it. Yeah. Yes, I was doing it because I was like, I have some debt. I want to pay off the house. I want to do like all these things, and I lasted a year like that, dude. I would never wow. do that again. That's, I would never do that again. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And I think like we don't realize like the impact that has you're like, oh, I'll just stop. But it's like it could take you a year to recover from that. And I never yeah. realized that. Like my toxic yeah. job that I was in, it was kind of the last two years of the event management company. Is like I feel like it's taken me three years to recover from some of the bad practices there. And like, I don't know. It takes a long time to heal. No, oh, yeah, definitely. For me, I curious. This, this, this curiously, what happened to me was so I stopped doing that. Then, like four months later, it was when I, for some reason, started having like extreme anxiety over everything, to the point like I ended mm. up in the hospital for like a day just because I couldn't calm myself down. Um, and I never. Wow. It took me a while to connect to connect to the fact that it's like, hey, just because you're not under current stress doesn't mean that your body is like you're unconscious about it but you're like you doesn't mean like your body and your men, your mental health like back to like a hundred percent just because you don't feel it you can still yeah. kind of blow up any other second so fun experience with yes. the whole, whole yeah. thing. yes well i'm sorry for that but i feel like that was an important lesson to learn <laughs> oh yeah it was man uh, tell me what i'm not gonna do again oddly enough another thing that i have on my thing so never do again it's i have it like literally on my top of my notebook is like don't freelance because freelance is also very stressful. <laughs> I used to never like freelancing. Yeah. The whole like trying to manage yes. the tech side and then the business side is very, very stressful. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's honestly why I joined Wisely. One of the reasons I joined was because, and even the event management company is like, I knew I needed to figure out sales and business more because mm-hmm. I I was at a certain level, but I knew I wanted to make more money. And I was like, I have to learn how other people are actually running successful companies. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think if you want to freelance, you really need to be okay with learning sales and business. And if you don't want to learn those things, just get a normal job. Who cares? There's no shame in just working for a company. I think some people like to idolize like your own schedule and your own time. But it's like, Honestly, if you join a good remote company, you can, like a lot of them, they let you kind of set your own hours. Like you can't maybe work from like 3 p.m. to midnight every night, but like you can come in late. You can pick your kid up from school. Like there's a lot of flexibility. 
Oh, so. definitely. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm in that camp. It took me forward to, to acknowledge the fact that, hey, there's no shame because for some reason, every like you get like the you get like the feeling like if you're not doing your if you're not an entrepreneur, you're like garbage to say. Yes. To put it in some yes. sort of words. Toxic for me, Twitter. To that's where you get that from. Yeah. Yeah. Toxic Twitter and seeing other people like I'm surrounded with kind of like do their own thing. And I'm like, I wish I could do my own thing. But it's like, hey, yeah, no. You kind of you yeah. learn there's more important things, especially when you start with a family. You're like, yeah, it's probably not that important to kind of like yes. keep up with everyone else. Cool. Yeah, totally. So I think it's time for us to kind of move into our dessert section where we kind of just kind of like get to talk up a little bit about what's going on in our personal lives, whatever you want to share with us. So uh, for those listening in for the first time, dessert time is just a little like blog section for us. Uh, so I guess, Vincent, you've been very quiet today. Would you like to tell us about what's going on in your life? Yeah, I got a tattoo recently. So that's been probably an interesting change. I thought about it for a long time. You know, went back to the drawing board and said, is this something I actually want to actually ink on my body and then have it permanent here for life? And yeah, it was... Definitely something went back in the drawing board many times. And I thought about originally getting one like on an arm sleeve, but I ended up getting somewhere else entirely. Somewhere that you can't see, like on my physical body at first glance. And nice. it is kind of nice, like when nobody knows that you have a tattoo at all. <laughs> at first glance, it's kind of like an empowering feeling where nobody knows that you have one and that you can like restrict yourself not to say that you even have one to begin with so that's kind of what i've learned and it definitely was extremely painful and it took me i had to get it done like twice over because the first time it like it started like it started just like like disappearing over time because i didn't Mm. it that well and it started peeling off and then i had to get it redone and retouched up but yeah definitely definitely something interesting to do you know it's like you have one canvas on your body and you can only put things on there one time unless you want to go get it redone again so that was my experience i don't know if you guys have tattoos at all but yes i do not but it's on my mind at some point maybe i keep telling myself to get one like so the one the one thing i would the one thing i would get so when I, i i play instruments i play a lot of like guitar and bass and I can never learn how to play with my wedding ring nice. on. So one thing I've uh, always been yeah. tempted to do is just get the tattoo of the ring on. Because there's times where I like I'll leave it. Yes. Hopefully I've never lost it, but I leave it right in places. And then I have to run back and buy my ring because I would not have a fun time if I lost my wedding ring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's random. That's fun. Yeah. All right. Caleb, so what's going on in your life? Yeah. Something fun that I've been doing this year is... I don't know, kind of like you, Vincent, I'm kind of just like doing things for myself. Like, I don't, I feel like I've done a lot of things for other people, but I, I'm like, I'm 34 years old. I don't need to impress people anymore. Like, I just want to do something for myself. And so this year, I've always wanted to play drums, but I'm like, oh, I should have learned as a kid. And now I'm just like, what the heck? I'm only 34. Like, I would have just take drum lessons. So that's been fun. I've just been taking... I won like a free lesson in a drawing and I took my first drum lesson and I loved it. And so I told myself like, if I 
keep going with it for three months, I'll buy myself a kit. And I've been four months, I still need to buy a kit. But it's like, I've really had a ton of fun with it. And my instructor has said, like, I'm advancing pretty quickly. So he's happy. I'm happy. I'm constantly like, I literally have my drumsticks on my desk. And I just like, beat around to songs that I'm listening to while I'm waiting for yarn to build or something random. <laughs> so yeah, that's been fun. That's awesome. Side note, if uh random fact, but uh there's this app that I that I use. It works for drums too. So if you want to get like doesn't like isolate the drums in a song, what's the app called? Oh, it's called Moises. It's just like a little thing, AI thing oh. where you can kind of like drop in a song. I'll send you the link later, but that's you can kind of drop in a song yeah, until that's awesome. it's, the tracks up. So you can have like the the, nice. vo- the vocals, guitar, bass, and then the drums. And it's really nice to be able to like isolate the drum lines. Wow. The drum lines are, in some songs are a little bit hard to hear. They're really good, but they're sometimes hard to hear. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I've been realizing that, and my teacher has been helping me see this, that a lot of times what you think are drums are either bass or acute acoustic strumming. Mm-hmm. I think that's like a hi-hat, but it's acoustic rhythmic strumming. <laughs> Yeah, it's so a little bit hard to how the songs mixed. There's times where like there, uh, there's some bands that like will make. I don't know what type of music you listen to, but like for example, like there's some bands like I listen to a lot of At the Driving because that's like my, one of my favorite bands. Uh, okay. And the drum, like usually the drums nice. are kind of mixed in a weird way where like the bass completely drums them out. But once you actually pay attention to the drummer, he's doing some pretty mm. cool stuff in there. That's cool. cool. Nice. All right. So for me, uh, mine's just kind of boring. So I never finished college properly. I got like two and a half years in. Still have a year and a half left. Uh, so I decided to go back for the fall semester this year. There's some classes I actually mm. skipped taking, which are like very basic classes because I dread some classes. And surprisingly, they're not your math classes. I, they're writing classes. I skipped all my writing classes because I hate writing. So mm. I'm currently getting my butt kicked by writing freaking essays every single week for like English composition too, which is a class I probably should it's like a freshman class I should have taken like 10 years ago, but never did. So it's not going well. Yeah. It's going pretty rough. <laughs> oh man. Well, good on you for keeping at it and getting back at it. Writing is hard. I mean, I write every week now, every day pretty much, and it's hard to drink. It takes a lot out of you, but I feel like when you get through, like it'll help your thinking and like expressing yourself. Oh yeah, that's that's the reason I, I wanted to take it just to go back and like actually get good at writing. Side note: always yeah. check rate my professor before you pick a class. There's a website called Rate My <laughs> Professor. That's where you can actually like have read the reviews. I picked like by I, by accident I picked the dude that has the lowest rating possible. Um, oh no! And it, that's the reason it's not going well. He's, he's just like completely harsh with the papers for no reason. Like my last review, mm. I, I got a, I got an A in the paper, but it says this is like. This is like, it was supposed to be like an analysis on like a story, which I did my little analysis, but it says, it's like, this reads like a, like a seventh grade book report, not a, not a college level analysis. I'm like, well, thank you. I feel great about myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Wow. That's funny. Literally everyone who talks about like how to write really well for LinkedIn or like business writing is like, if a 12 year old can't understand it, you didn't do it well. So. <laughs> kind of the opposite of college writing yeah oh, i think it's like i'm not gonna analyze sit here and analyze why did the author wanted blue curtains yes is it because the character was depressed no it's because he liked blue to collect the color blue whatever i don't know <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah 
Anyways, thank you, Caleb, for joining us for today's episode. It was really awesome to have you here and kind of like get to learn about like your journey, what's gotten you like into like basically into engineering leadership, and well, look forward to kind of seeing your growth throughout like either in LinkedIn and also as an engineering manager because we work together. Awesome, Herman Vincent. It was great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for dining with us on Code Chefs. We hope we satisfied your hunger. For show notes and more insider info on today's topic, visit our website at www.codechefs.dev. Plus, follow us on Twitter at CodeChefsDev. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and join us back here for the next one. Uh, Check, please.